What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. This is The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie Romano Pugh. Hey there, everyone. My name is Yaakov, and this is a podcast where you know we do a deep read into each and every episode of the hit HBO show, The Wire. I said hit again, Willie. God damn it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's good. It's a good reinforcement. Enough said. <laughs> yeah, enough self-explanatory. It's a hit. It's a great show. Um, just before we move on here, just a gentle reminder that if you like what we're doing, give us five stars and a nice review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. And if you have any spare money you'd like to donate, just head on to anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. I had to close my eyes and concentrate really hard to remember that correctly it's early in the morning for us so powering through yeah thanks for uh digging deep to bring us that uh support plug i appreciate it i appreciate all of our support Good all stuff. right so let's get into uh what we're going to be talking about this episode which is season two episode eight duck and cover what do you think what I mean, maybe I'm missing some obvious things, but what is the uh, symbolism behind that title? I mean, I know you get into the, uh, you know, the connections you draw, like uh, the tides and everything. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm like blanking on the backwash. Yeah, I don't really know any like nautical metaphors uh, to relate back to this uh, specific title. Maybe it has to do with them like a... Uh, ducking the the legitimate cans off the docks when they realize they're being followed and covering it up or maybe McNulty's ducking out of a DUI charge and covering himself up by <laughs> deciding to bed with the young waitress no this, these are all terrible takes. Oh, maybe uh, Ziggy has his duck and then he's trying to cover for being a shit son and cousin <laughs> and drug dealer. There you go. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> all right. So let's get into uh, what's actually going on in this episode. We got McNulty in rare form, uh, bl blacking out at his best. Uh, we see him getting into a little verbal argument with Gus, who is apparently like one of his... Have we met Gus up until this point? <laughs> no. I guess Gus is like the... Dolores of his uh, whatever Inner Harbor bar or whatever <laughs> swanky joint he goes to. I don't know. I don't think so. No. Yeah. But yeah, we see him making an ass out of himself at this bar. He's drinking and dialing before he gets to the drinking and driving. And oh, what a spectacle it is to behold. <laughs> yeah. When McNulty's yelling at Gus, what do you think? Do you think he's like uh, being the like bully cop or you think he's just like, how did you... In that moment, how did you uh, perceive McNulty's, uh, you know, aggression as far as, you know, his alcoholism on display? Was it like, ah, this is a power play because he could do what he wants. Like, I'm a cop, serve me. Or he's just so pathetic that, like, he just needs the liquor. You know? I think uh, in his mind, he's probably trying to justify himself playing the bully cop dynamic. But I mean, he looks so trashed at this point. And depending on yeah. like the closeness of the relationship he has with the bartender, maybe the bartender like already knows like, 
you're not even real murder police anymore. You can't boss me around and try try to get me to pour you an extra drink. Like, do you see yourself now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's 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 on, he's, a, he's on a boat. Yeah, he's getting a rude wake up call in this moment. His wife doesn't want to talk to him. The bartender won't serve him another drink. And even uh, blasting the the Pogues, his favorite band, on his yeah. car radio while he's careening towards a overpass uh, beam can't save him from from fucking up his car. Yeah, well, he does he does get served that last drink though, right? So yeah, I guess so. gets what he, Jimmy gets what he wants at least in one yeah. aspect. But anyways, yeah, I mean, yeah, he uh, he's blasting that that Pogues and. He crashes his car twice. What yeah. I mean, is it just like peak, uh, you know, I don't know how to articulate it at this moment, but what, what's the rationale? I mean, it's just uh, peak insufferable Jimmy. Um, I'm always right. I need to do it again. To prove. <laughs> yeah. Like what is what I've always yeah. wondered. I was one. I always wonder that too. Like, what is he doing when he gets out of the car and he's like trying to do like his little like reframing of how he like crashed into it? It's almost as if like, even though he's blacked out, he still can't escape detective mode. Like he's still trying to uh, do what he did in the old cases episode where he's trying to like replay it in his head and see if it can go differently. But uh, it's, he's so disoriented and discombobulated. Like even the camera is like moving around kind of crazy to follow the trajectory of his little finger guns. Like <laughs> I'm sure that he probably thinks in his mind, that he has a great idea of what he's doing but it just ends up being comically absurd yeah it's bizarre and then he uh he ends up at the diner where you mentioned he uh pretty much just jimmies his way into getting laid and he's like his great pickup lines of like give me some eggs with scrapple (laughs) and he's like all right yeah that sounds about right and then yeah you know how the rest goes uh but yeah we, with the hand i mean yeah we we know how the rest goes but there's still some questions like you mentioned the hand like oh he didn't get the hand cleaned up while like <laughs> she didn't offer to give him like some rubbing alcohol or something like what's the deal with that and uh did she see the state that his car was in when he took her home like and he parked like really sloppily in front of her house like yeah. what's going on what's what's the attraction there <laughs> yeah who i mean was she blacked out while she was taking his order and we just didn't know that's fine. <laughs> that's one of my only theories because i mean if she's sober I mean, and yeah, the hand still isn't clean in the morning. What, or did she s- just chug half a bottle of Jamie on the way to her house while he was driving? Or yeah, just I don't know. It's maybe just you know added detail to yeah, um, you know highlight how how deep of a spiral Jimmy's Jimmy's in at the right. moment. I mean, as along with like not knowing anything about what it would be like to be a a murder police or homicide detective in uh, one of the most dangerous cities in America, I also cannot imagine what it would be like to be working at a diner 
a 24 hour diner at the graveyard shift and having that kind of clientele come in. So I can't really speak from experience or like be any kind of a judge on her character or, you know, the decisions she makes when I can imagine that's probably like a really rough job to have too. And maybe she is just like looking to feel something or take advantage of some poor sap like McNulty. So my whole thing is if you're working in food (laughs) service, you're, you know, there are certain standards of hygiene. So whether or not you want to like bang the blacked out cop or whatever, who rolls in there. I mean, if she's not willing to help clean that up and I'm not putting all the blame on her, it's obviously McNulty, but <laughs> is this someone you would trust with your scrapple and eggs and like hash browns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Good thing. I didn't learn the location of this place. Cause I don't think we want to go there. If we take a trip to be more Willie. Uh, I definitely want to go there. I love diners. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to meet a waitress late at night. When we're <laughs> no, no, <I'm> gonna, <laughs> that's not me. That's not me. Um, all right. I guess there's nothing else that we wanted to talk about. I guess that's the end of this episode. We talked pretty much about yeah. everything we wanted to. <laughs> Thanks, <Yeah>. you guys. <laughs> all right. Um, shouts out to our designer. <laughs> no, all but right. uh, what but else after you talk about with McNulty. I mean, it's a kind of refreshing, you know, after we kind of got a break from McNulty in the last episode where he had probably like less than two minutes of screen time. This is an episode where we get the full spectrum of him, really. We get blacked out McNulty, a great cop McNulty, uh, adulterer McNulty, reformed adulterer McNulty. <laughs> um, yeah, but kind of like the centerpiece of this whole episode is... Uh, McNulty's um oh god I keep just McNulty 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 I keep saying his name um his uh realization that he doesn't feel like his life is worth anything if he's not working on a great case and we see this uh in great detail when we see him like almost crying when he's getting drunk with bunk on the train tracks Bunk's like, you jealous, huh? huh? Look at you. And then realizes, oh, these uh, really all emo. This up. I can't push it any further. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let up a little on old McNulty as he's uh, chugging Jameson distraught. And, right. Uh, you know, they go talk to Daniels, Lester and Bunk to try to get McNulty back on the, uh, the detail or they vouch for him. Right. You know, that, you know, Bunk shows he does care as a partner or ex-partner, whatever he their relationship is now, drinking buddies still, but <laughs> yeah, they know that it's not going to it's not going to end well unless he gets back on a case. Yeah. I mean, they do let up a little where they're like, you know, even if he is working on the case, he's still a drunken piece of shit basically, <laughs> but he's a one trick pony and he's not out there tricking the right way so we got to get him back in his wheelhouse exactly um speaking about tricks uh what about uh what about the uh entry back into the the detail just as they're discussing (laughs) how uh who who would be best to go undercover um he walks in and yeah say it takes a whore to catch a whore yeah, right. They they all know that they can exploit his uh his weakness uh to advance their investigation, so to speak. 
Um, so yeah, they're going to use him as like the kind of undercover mole to be a John for this uh, human trafficking operation. Uh, and then him and Kima share a really great scene where they're watching uh, uh, John uh, go home for the night after a night of revelry. And McNulty is kind of like thinking out loud of what this guy, he's like putting himself in the guy's shoes of like what he's going to have to do when he comes home and talks to his wife and kids. And he uh, talks with a sense of like familiarity with the situation, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah, like it's easy to lie to the wife, but... It's harder to look your kids in the eyes. That's that's what's really brutal about this situation. But yeah. Kima's like, oh, damn. Yeah. Well, we see how that's going to end up. Them too, you know. Yeah. Kima has um, more in common with McNulty than she might think at this point, maybe. Exactly. But they uh, bully Bob Johnson into getting the <laughs> contact information. Yeah. To ask Bob. Uh, <laughs> So he gets his card for Eve and then actually, yeah, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but even, even after the latter part of that investigation wraps up and he, he uh, goes out for a beer with Beatty and he can't resist from, you know, making a call to the, uh, to the hotline right? and still pursuing the detective angle uh even if he's off the clock and utilizing the same phone that he uh started what we could presume what, 48 <laughs> hours ago yeah before i wonder like i wonder if like when he's in that bar and gus ever sees him like walking towards the phone he just has like a yeah. a panic reaction or like ptsd he's like no please don't let him near that i don't know what he's what kind of shit he's gonna pull <laughs> i mean gus is pretty uh lenient i mean but if he didn't necessarily you know get kicked out of the bar i guess he'd be able to come back in but he's still trying to pull the you know like no i'm i'm on my best behavior bar patron (laughs) not that either either of us have ever been in a situation where you return to a bar after you had a maybe a few too many and then try to be you know the model uh, customer like no look see i am responsible oh yeah no n- never have i ever been turned away from bar service because my face told a different story than what i was trying to to project yeah, yeah we're both we're both pretty uh have a lot of commonalities in that regard <laughs> <laughs> uh but i mean Beatty's like doesn't even know what she's getting herself into really yeah and then they they head to her house and then he starts creeping around her her house while she's putting her kids like to bed thinking oh maybe maybe mama can have some fun tonight right then mcnulty mcnulty's like i'm in too deep yeah i've 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 detective i've done my detective work just just being a real man just real nosy you know well, it's almost like he gets a whiff of like the first like functional or normal romantic relationship he could be a part of. And he's just like, oh, no, I, I know I'm going to fuck this up. I don't like yeah. this lady's nice. I already know what it's going to be like when I have a dysfunctional work relationship. You know, the thing with him and Rhonda is is in flames and it's unhealthy and all bad. But 
the the struggle with BD to like I think there's like some mutual interest, but she must get like flashes or like get hints of what his true character is like. Cause Gus like does try to come up to them at the bar and he's just like, okay, here we go. And starts like getting out the shot glass for McNulty and, you know, assuming that he's just going to be there to get, to get schlossed or is it schlossed or sloshed? I never heard that one before, Willie. Schlossed. Okay. Well, I think you know what I mean, but uh Is that you? Oh, that was you the other day. Get like you were super schlossed sending me all these messages and stuff. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Sorry. No, that's good. <laughs> um but then so like when McNulty decides to leave her house uh, at the end of their interaction, I feel like uh, she's a great actress because uh, part of me feels like she's relieved uh, that they're not going to like follow up on anything that like she doesn't have to have her work relationship complicated and that she can like focus on raising her kids. But there's probably also like a sense that they're both like really lonely and like looking for something meaningful but at the same time it's like repelling them away from each other because they're both so damaged yeah as i mean bd's husband arguably is worse than mcnulty right yeah definitely as bad as mcnulty is at least he's still in his kids lives right whereas bd's husband left because he didn't want to cook himself dinner and yeah, I mean, at least McNulty's like, I don't necessarily even need to eat dinner uh, as long as I have my beer, <laughs> Jameson. <laughs> and I mean, Scrapple, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you never had Scrapple, man? I never I don't, had it, but yeah. I want to have it. It's like a staple of, I think, the Chesapeake and Maryland and like nice. more of a country type meal. It's It's just like, I believe, like pork, like sausage or it's almost like a hash brown but with meat and stuff it seems pretty tasty but it's just like a easy you know maybe in that case it can take on many different forms but drunk food is probably definitely one of the uh, drunk food or hangover food is probably one of its more um, utilized um, forms there you go i knew you'd have the answer for that um kind of i kind of i kind of feel like uh mcnulty's behavior in the diner he's like oh give me some eggs what come on what's the hold up his behavior in that moment is probably like what bd's ex-husband was like all the time (laughs) yeah give me some eggs will you all right i'm moving to the south i don't want to be in your life <laughs> Damn, no. that's that's rough. All right, but anyways, yeah, good uh, breakdown there with McNulty and Beatty and all that good stuff. So yeah, what do you want to talk about next, Bud? Uh, let's. See, you want to just move on down the uh, the document? We can get into the Ziggy and Nick storyline. <laughs> yeah, oh Ziggy, Ziggy, uh, Ziggy's getting egged on by everyone while they're at the uh, the lunch cart, right? Whatnot. So we know that since Pelicanos is writing on this episode, food had to be incorporated. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so they've been gassing Ziggy up to, to go at Maui since last episode, and they finally get him um, right where they want him. And it just turns out to be to be a big trap. Ziggy's uh, sucker punch to 
Maui's kidneys don't really uh, yeah. yield anything. Or I don't even know if he was aiming for the kidney. He doesn't seem very uh, capable of hurting him in any way, which yeah. you know makes sense. But anyhow, he gets put up on a pallet, and then uh, I mean, talk about uh, OSHA violations. I mean, we <laughs> talked about we talked about how dangerous being a stevedore can be, uh, but. I mean, yeah, wrestling or tussling with someone while you're on a forklift on a pallet, what, 10 to 15 feet off the ground doesn't seem, doesn't seem, uh, you know, very yeah. safe. And I don't, I don't want to discount how dangerous the job is, but this is type the type of behavior. I mean, maybe it can make sense that there's a lot of accidents as long as they didn't do this on a Wednesday, because I heard that was one of the more deadly days in the Baltimore area as far as workplace injuries and deaths. Oh, shit. Nah, that's, nah, that's very interesting. I, it could have been Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you put such an emphasis on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, maybe they're so used to dangerous, uh, dangerous activities that this is really seemed like to me, I'm like, ah, the heights, that seems really dangerous. But to them, eh, just another day on a pallet, 15 feet up on some giant forklift and placing Ziggy up on the can. Yeah. They're all laughing at the, in the face of discouraging statistics for the sake of a good joke. And, you know, I mean, I gotta say if I was, uh, I'm not a bully, but if I was working with somebody like Ziggy, I might take, I mean, I know this is wrong to say in light of like what every, like everything that happens on the show down the line, especially regarding Ziggy's character, but I can't lie and say that I didn't take some joy in seeing him get clowned in front of everybody and having everybody laugh at him. But it's, uh, I mean, he's con- like, He's constantly making himself uh, the victim in this episode. Like his only comeback to the people who conspired against him to like have him get beat up and stranded on the top of a can. All he can say is bad advice. You gave me bad advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and all, mean, it's, yeah. it's great. I'm just going to add that as someone who has been a bully, I mean, also bullied, I would definitely target Ziggy <laughs> as much as I could. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's a. <laughs> I thought it was great advice that they gave him. <laughs> I mean, he's a big old target. For our entertainments, right? Oh yeah, and, definitely. And then we also have him, uh, you know, feeling further. I can't remember like the sequence of events, what happens at what point, but uh, he's getting further emasculated by Nick, uh, bringing him some of his uh, earnings from the package that he's moving around and Ziggy is so furious that he's not able to be in the driver's seat for how to get these drugs distributed that he um, throws the money out of the car that they're in where Nick is trying to, to, to financially support him. Just, you know, doing some real little kid shit (laughs) basically. It's like he was trying to make it rain, but he was not at Orlando's or the local strip club. So it doesn't have the same effect. When, yeah. He's like but, trying to make it rain where the, like he's trying to make it rain outside of the area where it needs to rain. He's going to continue the drought. Like people yeah. are going to, yeah. He's not, means, not paying attention to uh, what the health of uh, the terrain is. He's not a, uh, 
you know, wanting the land to be <laughs> moist enough. I don't know. This is going what? to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a drought. Like, <laughs> like, isn't that a like little Wayne mixtape or something? Like, where's it going with this? And then you're just like, ah, it's not moist enough or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, wait, so, I mean, he had, <laughs> I'd imagine that, I mean, he, he Nick should have just punched him in the face, probably. But I don't, you know, I don't condone violence. But I mean, come on. But he had to pick it up eventually, right? I mean, we're assuming that after he uh, he had his tantrum, that either Nick forced him to pick up the money, or he realized, like, uh, I mean, how am I going to get back at all the stevedores, and how am I going to, um, you know, be Ziggy at the bar if I don't have this money? So I'd rather go. I better pick it up. Yeah, you think he used that money to go get a pet duck? <laughs> yeah. So he got, I think maybe in the notes are messed up because he goes after that, he goes and gets a duck, right? Or is it, it wasn't before, right? It's like the practice, like the bullying, Nick bullying me, even though he's really just giving me money for just staying away. But that's, right. that's bad. Tantrum. Man, <laughs> I know what I need to do is get a pet duck, even if he went to that man's like Avery or whatever you want to call it to look, uh, well, he, he hates pigeons, right? He claims they have lice. So he wasn't <laughs> going there. He wasn't going there for a pigeon at all. So he just, ha- it seemed like he just kind of happened upon the duck and was like, yeah, this is it. Or do you think he, what, what was he there for in the first place? If it wasn't a pigeon and not a duck, I don't, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. I feel like, it's like all part of his like a uh, grand scheme at crafting an elaborate defense mechanism because he constantly is getting bullied and you know beaten up and told that he can't do shit right but i think he's just like trying to come into his own as the clown that everybody is going to make fun of so he's just like all right, I got to find a way to double down on it. I know people are going to laugh at me, but it's the only way I'm really like. So I'll just like be the entertainment at the bar with like some weird prop. Like I'm going to do prop comedy and get everybody drunk. And then maybe people will like me again. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm sure we've, you know, never. But we, I mean, no. we definitely know people <laughs> like that in real life for sure. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never, never tried to engage in that kind of stuff to, to, you know, lessen the blow of uh, people's ridicule, but that's a whole nother story. Well, it's not a story because I've never engaged in anything like that. Exactly. It's other people, will, right? Yeah, it's other people. We're well acquainted with those types yeah. of insecurities. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, what else? Uh, yeah, he then as you said he's utilizing this this duck as a prop uh, and i guess what you could say animal cruelty making the duck drink and uh you know everyone loves it at the bar he becomes he becomes the life of the party uh in a good and seemingly one of the first uh positive ways you know yeah so but- people want to buy rounds they want to you know, he's like, he's at, in, in, in some way I felt, I kind of felt good. I don't know if Ziggy could ever bring, his character ever bring me some sort of like feeling, you know, a positive feeling. But seeing the older stevedores there, like, you know, like they had just woken up from a 
decade long <laughs> slumber, you know, induced by uh, the despair of, you know, the economic situation and alcoholism. Like, yeah, woo, next round's <laughs> on me, Dolores. Like, you know, let's have some fun. So it's kind of good to see everyone getting getting involved. It's like he's trying to be the Robin Hood of the, uh, like the uh, the drunks. I don't know. Kind of right. bringing them, bringing them something to cheer about. So, right. I don't know, but it's no. Yeah, you, you're making total sense there. But unfortunately, with anything good that happens in this show, there has to be a crushing downfall, as we'll see in the next episode when the duck dies of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's going to bring the spirits back down at the bar. Yeah. Exactly. Right, well, we else? What about uh? What about the uh? Issues that Frank's dealing with um, in the in the world of the docks, which we can't call the suave nickname you you provided. Uh, no cross picket line November in full swing down at the docks. Frank has Frank can't find his phone bill. Yeah, that is a a stark difference between um, him and the Barksdales again. Like, can you imagine if like? Avon or Stringer well I mean I guess they wouldn't even have to be like dealing with the phone companies because they just have burners right so they wouldn't freak out about getting flagged but it like for the level of uh the the level of uh freaked out that Frank is in the moment that he figures out his his phone has been flagged I feel like Avon or Stringer probably would have already had like three people killed that they felt like might've been responsible for this irregularity. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Avon takes it a step further where he's almost like a, uh, electrical engineer or phone company like uh, employee <laughs> where he's like, we bake, cut the, cut the phone lines. Okay. Not the blue one, uh, not the red one, the green one. That's what you want to know. He's like, his knowledge is so far beyond like any customer service rep. It's like, he's might as well be, you know, in the field with, right. his, with his amount of knowledge. You know, it's like a spy level, you know, right. knowledge of Intel and, and all that communication. Um, but admittedly, Frank does take uh, some needed precaution when he decides to get a clean can back to the warehouse so that like it can't be uh, muddled into this uh, legal investigation. Um, so that's that's good on his part that that he's uh, letting his paranoia make the right decision there. But again, like the stark difference is like he's openly talking on the phone with Spiros about like what their plan is when, you know, like Avon and Stringer's people would not even like allow that like to happen. Like Spiros is just like, Oh, not on the phone, Frank, but who knows uh, how they would react in the Barksdale crew. Um, it's interesting to note that like they're less, overall like the the greeks are overall less paranoid about them being tracked by law enforcement but it almost also feels like that they don't have as much to lose because they're just like like oh yeah we're gonna have to do like a few clean cans for a little while and then like with some hard line negotiating from frank they're like oh yes and we can still pay you so 
there seems to be like a little bit more fairness in uh, their organization than the Barksdales. It seems like a loyalty like actually might count for something. Yeah, surprisingly, as cruel as the Greek is, and we've already seen examples of, you know, what lengths he'll go to to those who cross him, ordering the execution and gutting and dismemberment of the uh, the captain of that initial ship in the beginning of the season. But yeah, after just a little pushback from Nick, where he, he went from being like a 1099 contractor to, you know, almost like an employee who's getting uh, paid time off or getting pay while, uh, you know, he's not actually uh, on the clock working for the Greeks. So <laughs> it's like uh, has his foresight down where, you know, for the future, for future business, I'd pay you. Huh? <laughs> okay. I did like the uh, Slavic or Russian-sounding accent. Uh, well, yeah. With the Greek, if you don't do an exact Greek uh, uh, accent for the Greek, it's not really wrong, right? Because he's not actually yeah. Greek. So his origin is the, undetermined uh, at this point. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this shit out. without Reddit. Without Reddit, Willie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of me, I mean, I think we're fine. We're in the clear. I don't think people are going to get too upset about this. I just hope like years from now, there's no clout sharks that are going through all our old episodes and are looking to ruin us for our uh, takes on different European accents. (laughs) (laughs) You do the wow face emoji in the Zoom chat. (laughs) Well, that was a very... uh... Yeah, I mean, that was a illuminating point, and I, I elicited a wow face. Like, it's a possibility. <laughs> I never thought of this, Willie. Uh, whatever, no. but <laughs> go for it. Go for it. We have our backers. Yeah, They'll, they will not sign off on our accents, but they know we're we're not bad guys. You know. <laughs> I mean, if whatever his name, if Sergey can do it, and. Look at him. He's from the backwoods of Virginia, but Chris Ashworth. Uh, But okay, back to the whole uh, Frank losing it. I mean, where were we at? We were talking about, uh, oh yeah, they they ended up at the meeting and uh, yeah. Yeah. probably said that already, how they like, they thought, oh wow, yeah, good job, Frank. You did your thing. You put all these clues together, but uh, yeah. And not only that, he also has found out that BD was dishonest with him about what kind of work she was doing. And he finds out that she's part of the, the homicide squad. So the, the, the walls are starting to, uh, are hit, you know, everything around him is starting to crumble, basically. Yeah. Shouts out to the port cops who really have not been briefed on anything. They're just out here, loose lips, you know. Mention on Beatty. It's like if they could flag if they could flag Frank's phone line at the phone company, then how come they can't flag Beatty for the port cops? Like don't don't talk about don't talk about what she's doing. Right? Like what do you th- like what did they even think she would be involved in? Like they're on the port so they know everything about the can with all the dead women in it. Like, did they think she would join homicide to investigate like something else that has nothing to do with their jurisdiction like read the room guys shit (laughs) there you go enough said man um so you want to move on here sure (laughs) 
they're doing some big things at the uh, little dinky office, um, making all the connections between Petey Dixon and we got a white mic sighting. Yeah. Uh, they also are, you know, displaying their information, displaying the information. Hurricane Carver brilliantly uh, pulled <laughs> from Nick and, uh, you know, putting all, putting all that together succinctly enough to go for the wiretap that will really bust things wide open. Oh, that will break things wide open. But uh, what do you think of everybody making fun of uh, Bunk in his uh, lacrosse sweatsuit that he comes in with? Is this the first time we've seen him? Uh, like, I mean, I know we've seen him in the the bathrobe, but like every other time, like even Lieutenant Daniel says so. Like, I thought you were born in pinstripes. What's up with this? <laughs> what made him decide to make that specific day like casual? casual uh come into work in my sweats day i don't know man yeah he just thought that since he's out of the homicide department he can he can let loose a bit in his lacrosse outfit which um yeah i mean he just thought that oh look at look at how shitty this office is i can dress however i please is that i mean that's just how i read it but others were not too uh you know Whatever. I don't know. They were just having some fun, maybe. Yeah. Call, calling him out. I think they're more offended by the fact that he compared himself to Jim Brown, <laughs> a legendary football player who also played lacrosse. So, yeah. All these football references, man. You would think that David Simon uh, isn't as much of a hater as uh, of that game as he uh, lets on on his Twitter account. Oh, really? I haven't seen too much about him talking about football. Maybe th- these were all Ed Burns drops, uh, these football references. <laughs> yeah, or Pelicanos, you never know. Yeah, that makes well, sense. He just says he, he doesn't like the NFL and stuff, which for good uh, reason. I under- I mean, I get it. You know. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty mainstream position to have at this point. Um, if, you're, if you're not a patriot, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just kidding, David Simon, great patriot. <laughs> yeah, me, me, mm, not so much. <laughs> what do you think about his sweatsuit, Willie? <laughs> it's it's funny. I mean, he looks like it, it's funny that he uh, he shook his butt at them as he was walking away and telling them to kiss his ass. I like that moment. <laughs> okay, yeah. <it> was- <laughs> It was fun. It was fun, I guess. <laughs> you got to come here on this podcast for these deep, deep takes we have. This is, you know, we're uh, getting into the art. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, they uh, they get the uh, Perlman action. Yeah. She gets the she gives them the go ahead after reading through their uh, misspelled <laughs> affidavit or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and they go to uh, Vanderwall, some judge who is pretty weird and really likes people to do chores at his mansion. Yeah, uh, I have no idea what what's up with that, but we got Hurricane Carver. Well, I just want to. There was one thing that I wanted, like dynamic, that I wanted to bring up. How uh, so? Lieutenant Daniels is kind of like the leader of this squad in a lot of ways, but. Whenever Rhonda Perlman comes in because they need some, um, you know, legal leverage for her, like, 
they need her to kind of advance their investigation. Um, I feel like we start to see kind of like early signs of them being like the mom and dad of this whole operation. Like Lieutenant Daniels has to like bring them back to reality at certain points and be like, no, we can't like, we can't make the investigation too broad or like, fine, I'll try to talk to Rawls, but you got to be on your best behavior. Like, uh, Carver, I know I grounded you last time, but you can come back in here if you show your best behavior. And then Rhonda Perlman shows up and, you know, they don't have like a romantic interaction yet, but they're kind of like two heads of the same mind. Like she's all like, you guys need to work on your spelling and stop swinging, like stop swinging in that swivel chair. Like I can't concentrate. Mommy needs to like do the work and read through all your fuck ups. <laughs> Mama working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that's all oh, I wanted. To, <laughs> that's all I wanted to say about that is we're we're getting some uh some good uh whiffs of uh that dynamic. Yeah. I mean yeah. interesting points there. I never thought of it that way. So thanks for bringing that dynamic up. Also, I know I kind of do this every episode, but I'm like, ah, there's surveillance practices like why are they so obvious no do you think that the detail blew their cover in the kind of surveilling frank or he was just he was just two steps ahead of them because i was like ah kima's back back in the in the power company van and when the cameras you know they're working some tricky tricky action tricky shots where they make it seem like frank's walking right up to uh to kima well at least that's what i thought but Right. Then he veer, he veers off to talk to the port cops, but you know their actions. Even though BD's lauded, or she kind of thinks on her feet um, as far as getting someone to stop the truck leaving um, to stall them, kind yeah. of prove, it proves to be a little bit too preemptive because Frank utilizes that as we talked about. You know his uh, PC to really go meet with the Greeks about. Yeah kind of solidifies his theory but i don't know like what do you think you know as far as were they uh, being sloppy with it or he's just too many coincidences really out of their control yeah i mean i feel like uh i feel like they're doing everything they're supposed to do um and doing a good job with it i just think frank is like quickly catching on that he needs to start start uh thinking like a criminal in order for like all these things to move ahead so they can get financial security and that he could like actually get what he wants from the union. So um, maybe a little bit of both. I, I think Frank is quickly adapting to a, a kingpin lifestyle, even though he looks super stressed out about it all the time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Want to talk about Hurricane Carver briefly? Yeah, Fuzzy Dunlop. Let's get into it. <laughs> you know, I'm such a fan of this show and I've rewatched it obviously many, many times. And this is the first time where I actually realized what like the meaning behind Fuzzy Dunlop. Because I always wondered like, what the hell? I mean, it has nothing to do with his cousin, you know, Herc's cousin who they're us utilizing as a front for their the information, registering him and his social as their informant to right. utilize or make make the uh details they grab from their uh, tennis ball uh, admissible 
but I realized what the name of the, uh, you know, the, why it all ties in the whole fuzzy Dunlop thing. Did, did you get it? Isn't Dunlop you... like a brand of tennis ball? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, I was, cause this whole pandemic thing, I've been, man, tennis is the best social distancing sport sports game. You know, you're, you're pretty far away. You're always reacting to the ten. Anyways, I've been thinking about tennis probably more than I usually, do, <laughs> even though I am a fan. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh shit, a fuzzy tennis ball and Dunlop. Duh, it's a tennis tennis brand. There you go, man. That's a uh, brilliant detective work that you did there. I can imagine you just like going to a tennis court, maybe like getting in a quick match with your wife, and then you like look at the ball and you have like a an epiphany like a moment of revelation <laughs> that's uh, too much Nah, i mean maybe a walk will walk by on a hike a tennis court and see tennis balls well i've just been seeing more tennis balls ever since you know we started watching this season like i i told you a little sidebar here that uh after last episode with frog and the tennis ball i was driving down the street and there's this uh yeah. this lady who looked like maybe she could be frequenting the uh, Fayette Strip or whatnot, wherever Frog's working in East Baltimore on the in the dope game. Uh, yeah, she was in the middle of the street near where I live, just bouncing a tennis ball, kind of talking to herself. Uh, so yeah, yeah, strange coincidence, Dunlop, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hurricane uh, Carts, like uh, they they seem like they're learning a lot, but. Uh, they still are up to their old ways of us, uh, you know, getting a little extra cash for themselves uh, through illicit means. Yeah. Why doesn't Herc just call him when they're trying to, uh, you know, convince his cousin? Why doesn't he just call him, you know, his cousin? Like, why is he like, hey, our moms are sisters? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, okay. If that That's like his statement to try to, you know, make him make him realize the gravity of the situation and how close they are. You got to help me out. Maybe they're so like distant from each other regularly that he can't even bring himself to uh, use the term cousin when referring to him. He's just like, you know, the only reason I'm nice to you is because my mom and your mom are sisters. Just like trying to break it down like logically that way without any like hint of uh affection for each other i love her baltimore accent is it about is it, it sounds it's just kind of like a, a i don't know it like sounds like New York. like the bronx I've or something yeah they're like you said in old ways so <laughs> but uh mo moving to the streets we uh this is a stringer stringerless episode right I mean, yeah we don't we don't get any of the power players yeah i mean it depends though because we do see bodie he's working on some power moves himself uh you know in right. the context of his world as a street level dealer he's uh he's definitely making moves right yeah i mean he, he's working with what he can right I mean, he's still a pawn, but he's doing those uh, diagonal capture moves to uh, <laughs> reclaim some territory and uh, throw his weight around to people who don't have as much seniority as him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he uh, he notices that their territory is being infringed upon by others and, uh, you know, their lack 
a product is a real you know weakness because there's no supply to meet the demands you know the whole like connection with the streets and the labor labor world where it's like kind of these parallels of these low-level workers or drug dealers being laid off and they're asking for separation pay. and then Nick was, Nick, Nick was talking about like kind of alluding to that in some ways it's like what we only get paid when we work like what yeah right it's a I mean, it, and it also draws like a further uh, contrast between uh, the Barksdales and the Greeks, right? Because Bodhi just straight up scoffs at the idea of giving his lower level employees severance pay. But the Greek is like, oh, yes, we'll keep you on the payroll, even though you're not doing money f- or even though you're not doing work for us. So difference in approach, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and we see the guys that Bodhi tells, you know, if like separation, what I'll separate your like and then threatens them with physical violence and kind of a, you know, it's like a joke. But then they uh, eventually join the opposition who's yeah. uh, encroaching on their territory, whereas the Greek. I don't know who else, you know, what other Greek factions or, you know, smuggling operations there are in uh, in Baltimore for Nick to join. But, you know, he's obviously staying on the team with the Greeks as opposed to what's happening in this on the streets in West Baltimore. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe going back to last week as a comparison, like in the middle of the night or like before they can even wake up uh Bodhi uh, takes over their territory. Maybe does it remind you of a certain football team owner who did something shady in the middle of the night to uh, <laughs> piss off a lot of local Baltimore? <laughs> no, it's too- yeah, he's going Robert Ursay. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I guess, but then, but oh, I don't know how to make that comparison. But I mean, Bodhi feels like he's just taking back what was his anyway so i don't know like did robert ursay have a stake in indianapolis that we didn't know about or something (laughs) it's like this is mine but uh yeah i mean we see uh bodhi just uh, extremely disciplined trying to convince his uh i guess you know colleagues at the towers that they need to be there at seven they're like what he's like yeah we need to be there you know early in the morning, like, like his shift is starting and then eventually convinces them that, you know, they may be able to engage in some much needed violence, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is the selling point. Uh, it definitely gets their attention. And, but in the, in the, in the twilight or the, the late uh, evening or night before he reclaims their territory where he witnesses the guys he let go joining on the corner with the other guys that he's, you know, feuding with or uh, has his differences with. We see some, uh, what I thought to be maybe a parallel between another character who who we've uh, seen uh, doing his own sort of recon. Maybe we call this character Bomar. Oh, nice. Got some Bomar, man. Omdi. (laughs) Omdi, <laughs> yeah. I, there's just that shot between you know his face. Uh, I, I took a screenshot of it. I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's like it's nice. a pretty brilliant camera angle with his half his face shaded by the brick wall, and then he's just like, mm. yeah. And I was thinking, damn. 
Imagine the stick of man uh, Bodie would have made though. I know we see Michael later right. on, but uh, yeah, yeah, but Bo- Bodie is still uh he's still devoted to the whole like he's fully bought into the whole power structure. And even if he is like embracing wholeheartedly like the role of regional middle manager uh, within this power structure, he's he's a very like smart, adaptable person. So he's going to take, you know, pick and choose things from all different parts of his life that he can apply to his own job and, you know, grab expertise wherever he can get it. Like you notice in that scene in the, in the first season when they're getting robbed by Omar, he's like not panicking really. And he's being very attentive to what is happening. Uh, so it, it, it bodes well for him down the line that he he's very observant. And like, even though he he's getting punked at this moment, he, he takes it as like a, a lesson on, how to uh run business for himself in the future maybe perhaps yeah and then they uh they confront or they are confronted by the uh the group that you know they've now taken back the corner from and they have a little bit of a tense standoff but still Mm -hmm. very diplomatic uh no one no one actually gets hurt and poot only has to threaten them with his weapon like you know he seems to be the only one visibly holding a firearm but it's still you know we got the bats which we see is like a very uh yeah. common thing so hey i mean like less uh less shooting right more bats more beating more fists and bats right like old school right. but uh he gets approached by the leader of the other crew i'm seeing shades of like you know the rapper doobie oh from and paul and then the basketball player paul pierce it's like okay. it's like he's like a combination of those two. Okay, Doobie's from San Francisco, right? Isn't he from the Bay Area? Uh, I mean, I, I know he's from the Bay, but I think he's from Vallejo. Okay. Sugar Wolf. Okay. I know. I think he's from the Crest. But anyway. I know, I know who you speak of, but I I fail to uh, produce a picture in my mind at this moment to draw a comparison. Maybe it's a bad comparison, but. I don't know. I just, the guy kind of has an interesting look and he kind of reminded me of those two people. Yeah. He had interesting delivery too. He's like, you're stepping on my real estate. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a more subdued, uh, like an intense. Yeah. Still <laughs> yeah, threatening delivery. as hell. Really scary. Yeah. yeah. Scary business. So kind of setting the stage for what we know is going to go down next episode. Right. Right. With the uh, the feud spelling over because as Poot mentions, you know, they're going to have to come back after that public humiliation. Yeah. Because as we know, there's like the hustle and bustle of the early morning, I'm sure, center stage there. So, yeah. Looks to be a busy corner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we, All should right. we get into some of these segments here? Let's get into the Wire universe. the thing that stuck out to me most was uh the behavior of ziggy and right. as far as his duck and everything it's a pretty well-known guy who was uh 
infamous in South Baltimore named Pink, Pinky Bannon. Although there's names that uh, there's also Pinky Banyan floating around. So it made me think of last episode where they said, uh, you know, uh, in reference to new Charles getting injured. So I wonder if Pinky's real name was Charlie and if he ever had to get scooped off of a pier, but I doubt it. Um, because they mentioned Charlie Banyan at the end of last episode. But anyways, we'll just stick to it's printed Pinky Ban- Pinky Bannon, so I'll just stick with that. Um, he uh, was just well known to pretty much the behavior we see Ziggy begin to exhibit with the duck. Um, that was definitely something he was well known for. He he had a pet duck with a diamond <laughs> encrusted collar, and and then similar to what what we'll see and what you mentioned you know the tragic end of the duck's life having drinking drank itself to death in uh upcoming episode uh that also was true um and pinky bannon also was known to flash on you know areas around locust point um and he even apparently it was called pretty boy and he would dress it up in a bow tie like a bow on saint patrick's day (laughs) and even once stuck it into Al Bates's saxophone uh, bell, which I'm assuming the bell is, yeah, where the saxophone sounds come out of. But I don't know who Al Bates is, but that was just what I read. I I tried looking him up, but I don't know. I'm assuming a local musician in Baltimore. But yeah, Pinky Bannon, pretty pretty nuts. So I don't know. I couldn't really find anything other than just references or maybe a tweet from Simon kind of confirming... Okay. You know, that this is who inspired Ziggy's behavior, but I don't really know what happened to Pinky Bannon, like what, you know, his his uh, other characteristics might have been, but just a pretty brash wild dude. So Yeah, great details there. What about Stephen L. Miles? Did you find out anything about him? Um oh. It was it Stephen L. Miles? Because I was looking up Stephen H. Miles and it's some uh, professor of like biotech at University of Minnesota. And I was like, what the hell? Like, why would he? This can't be a, can't be a reference to Ziggy's pet. Dog. Oh, Stephen L. Miles. See, I missed that. So on Wikipedia, it does say that Ziggy references Stephen L. Miles, who is a Baltimore lawyer remembered by locals due to the local run late night commercial advertising his firm good stuff great details there too man should we uh segue into the next segment sure all the pieces matter nice let's get into that uh well, you had mentioned that Jimmy was listening to the Pogues, so I'll just—I had highlighted that because you know their their music comes up throughout the sh- the show and the, so forth, and it's kind of like the uh, soundtrack for the gritty docks and like yeah. even I mean we know the the homicide department utilizes their music too in a different context, but I just looked up yeah I saw that song uh, was titled Trans Metropolitan, right? So, I mean, I kind of almost. I almost feel like whenever the Pogues come on, it's like the soundtrack for Jimmy's psyche almost because for yeah. some, it just like reminds me of like a, I don't know, drunken Irishman getting, getting hyphy. 
Oh yeah, it's some very hyphy. You want me to read you the lyrics to that? Uh, that's some hyphy music there. Please do. So, yeah, as you said, Jimmy Psyche. Let's see. Let's see if this <laughs> illuminates that even further. This town has done us dirty. This town has bled us dry. We've been here for a long time, and we'll be here till we die. So we'll finish off the leavings of blood and glue and beer, and burn this bloody city down in the summer of the year. Going transmetropolitan. Sound yep, that sounds right on the money. <laughs> sounds <I> like <laughs> sounds like Jimmy's inner monologue. Beer, blood, and glue. <laughs> I was like, damn, that yeah. I mean, all we all we were missing was the glue at the diner, but uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. the pogues uh, they're a bit disturbed, aren't they? Just yeah. like Jimmy's inner. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, imagine having that as like how how hard would life be, Willie? If you're like, uh, pokes where your inner model. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Um, hey, Willie, what what do you make of that mirror shot as uh, Ziggy and Nick are in the uh, in the truck? So you're talking about after Ziggy throws the money out the window, and we get a mirror shot of like a truck moving through the docks in the background while the money is like flying through it in the foreground almost. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Um, It's kind of like a different mirror shot than we've come to expect from this show. Um, Is this just like (laughs) Nick is putting uh, this line of work in the rear view, so to speak, uh, (laughs) of being a stevedore, but like, all that money flying around is just like some kind of foreshadowing that his level of comfort is going to disappear at any moment and just blow away in the wind. I mean, you put me in the hot seat. So you put me in the hot seat. So I was just like, uh, 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 let me think of something. Um, I should do that more often then if that's the result we'll get. Right. Right. Everyone. We want more Willie in the hot seat. Uh, Okay. I'm sure you got stuff too. Let me, but like, let me just keep rambling here. I mean, it's more of a question. What do you, again, the, the premise of this, I want to, I want to preface this that the premise of my assertion here could be off, but I'm going to go with what I've just looked at uh, on IMDb and stuff. What do you think is more, what would you be more surprised by? Like now that we know more about this show, like prior to this, you know, if you learned that double G was like Latino or Sergey was from, uh, like the countryside of Virginia. Oh wow! I I think <laughs> I know we know about Chris Ashworth, the actor who plays Sergey, but uh, George Glicas, the actor who plays him, is named Teddy Canez or Canez, and it's spelled like very span, like you know, has the uh, the tilde or the yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, above the N, and every other like a lot of other roles he's in is like. Hector, the like uh, Spanish guy, so on his IMDb. Yeah. So I'm like, man, is Teddy a straight up like uh, I don't know, whatever you know, I don't know what you know what his background is, but is he like a East Coast like Puerto Rican dude or something? <laughs> or like, yeah, I mean, it, I I'm looking at his uh, his IMDb credits right now, and literally one of the things that's listed is that. When he was on an episode of Law and Order, his character name is Latino Leader. So yeah, <laughs> I mean maybe he's a 
you know, he's like half Greek, half Latino or, or something because he's so like, I never would have imagined that he's not Greek, you know, because he does a good job with like the ad libs and stuff that we can presume in Greek but <laughs> also look, look check this out I'm looking again at his IMDB page and for uh the credit where he's you know in the wire as George double G Gleekis it says uh that he was billed as Ted Feldman so maybe he like had a stage name at the time to uh <laughs> Like trick people into thinking that he could play a Greek person, and it's listed as his first acting credit whatsoever. So maybe, <laughs> maybe he like pulled a fast one in them. I don't know. He's a great. Like he does a fantastic job in the role. He's a great actor. Like whatever yeah. he wanted to do, I, I I'd feel very compelled to to watch him. He he. Ted, <laughs> Fel- Ted Feldman. Oh, thanks for that. That's a that's a tidbit there. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's pretty good, man. Good for him. Uh, he did a great job yeah i don't know i'd hope the wire would still give him a shot even if he had a credit previously as latino leader but (laughs) he'll always be he'll always be george clicus to me yeah dropping Uh, some straight malacca on us yeah yeah. all right willie (laughs) that was bad you're sipping you're sipping coffee too like at you're like at the little johnny's right now you're like, <laughs> wait what did you say Yaku? What? oh you're frozen malaka <laughs> <laughs> by the way uh this coffee is terrible <laughs> you call this you call this a diner but nice when, once this pandemic's over i can't wait for us to go out like uh, go out to eat and we could just be sitting there and like uh like after we set up a, like a local spot as our workspace or where we like to have meetings and hang out. We'll just slowly start chipping away at them. Like, look at this sandwich. This is not diner. Like, there we go. Terrible. Visions yeah, of a better out. future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. COVID. We want to get our Greek on at the diner. <laughs> Precisely. I want to run into Jamie Hector and talk crap about. No, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that's a that's another tale. But I guess from what we have discovered, you know, you've added a great deal to this whole little topic of double G versus Sergey. I'd say that would the consensus be that we're more surprised that uh, he's possibly Latino or is uh, of Latin descent as opposed to Sergey Molotov being a country guy from Virginia? I don't know. That's still pretty bizarre. That's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean they both of both of their performances are so like good and detailed that I kind of just get lost in the whole uh you know performance and can't even take the into consideration what their real background is. Yeah, I'm going to go with double G being you know, <laughs> but maybe that's just recency bias because I yeah, I just I just realized that you want to move into Geo Genius? Uh, sure. Geo Genius. Let's talk about uh, Whole Street is brought up by the uh, the guy at the again Avery. I don't know if that's the right word, but. He has all his pigeons. So he's talking about a, a story where the uh, 
a Dutch seaman. Oh, see, more Dutch, more Dutch references. <laughs> I realized that like we had Rotterdam last episode. We got Vanderwall, which sounds, you know, pretty Dutch. I know I only say my first name, but it, it might be similar. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> my name's literally, my name is my name, and it's literally on Anchor and associated with this. But uh, anyways, yeah, and then we got the Dutch seaman letting go the uh, bird, and it could find, like he mentions, it could find its way back to Hull Street or whatnot. Right. Which is a main a main street that runs pretty much through the heart of Locust Point. So it's like, if you know, if you got one street to remember, for Locust Point, Willie, if anyone ever asks you, like, what's the significance? Just say, yeah, Hull Street's pretty prominent. There and you go. <laughs> you're a genius now. You're like, I'm the geo genius now. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, the address they give for Fuzzy Dunlop, uh, 216 North Washington. I, I noticed that on the card. Um, I looked up that address, and, I again, I know a lot can change, and, like, almost 20 years since this was filmed in 2003 but yeah i don't know there is no 216 north washington Fuck. uh it's you know washington runs through east baltimore um and yeah apparently i mean 216 it just showed up as like near a parking lot an empty parking lot that's across from what looks like could be a large like, senior citizen uh residence or something like that so i don't know what's up with that maybe if daniel's would have looked more into the, like the address uh, or had a geo genius on his squad. Like he could have been like, Hey, this, this fuzzy dumb up guys, it's, it's, it's a sham. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. May, for all I know, it could have been an apartment building back then and now it's gone. So not, not too much to get into. The main thing I wanted to talk about was the corner, the disputed corner uh, between, you know, Bodie and Putin, their crew. And then the, potential CBS boys from south down south or Tavon's crew on Edmondson. I don't know either of those references. I thought mm. I know like DeAndre McCullough's crew and right the corner was like it was C something, but I think it was like C it was like a play on the like the Crenshaw Maf- it was the Crenshaw Mafia boys, right? Because they watched yeah. Boys in the Hood over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, ah, CBS, that has nothing to do with that, but maybe the C? No, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, the, the point I'm making is that corner, does it look familiar at all, Willie, where they're posted up? I was going to I was gonna annoy you. Hey, hot seat time. No. Uh, refresh my memory. Uh, well, I noticed that uh, a specific sign on the store behind kind of looked familiar, like behind the, uh, the drug shop, you know, that okay. they set up. And I was like, "Hey, I know this store." And then it might—it made me remember that uh, that's the corner where Lester uh, bashes the bottle on Bird's head, and they arrest oh, him. Nice. So, so I'm like, "Oh, they're back! Uh, they're back on Carrollton and Riggs up in Sandtown and Winchester." So I don't know if it's just a pot, like what the significance of that is—if it's a coincidence or it was just like a good filming location, but. Again, the ge- geo uh, relation or the geography as far as relating to where the uh, you know Barksdales have their operations set up. It's again, it's a little, it's a little bit of a stretch for me because uh, there's like a lot of different scenarios. Like, okay, we know the pit is really McCullough Homes, but then the towers were supposed to be like what was you know Franklin Terrace, which is like like 
what is Lexington Terrace, like Franklin Terrace. So it just depends on, you know, they're obviously trying to combine the two into right. like the high rise, low rise component. But yeah, it's like, it's like a mile away that corner from, um, you know, where Franklin Terrace, if it's based right on Lexington Terrace was, but a little closer if they're trying to like emulate Murphy Homes, which did have a high rise, low rise component. I, I'm sure Lexington Terrace had that too, but um, yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, look at their, look at their territory. <laughs> it's, I'm just saying it would be quite a walk. Like it's not around the corner. Like they make it seem from where like Bodie could leave the towers and then just like creep around the corner and look at their corner like, ah. You know, like he'd have to cross Pennsylvania Avenue and Fremont Avenue, which is like, you know, it's like two busy streets. So kind of I don't know. it's not just around the way. That's what I'm trying to say. But it's a cool corner for filming. So I'd say, yeah, but that's good that you brought in all those details to give us a sense of place. Yeah, thanks. I try to try to do that. You know, if anything, I could help, you know, create that sense of place here if if things in the real world are free falling i don't know where i am <laughs> or stand no. uh anyway that's that's it man nice you truly are the geo genius as as you and i uh talked about recently with a recent uh, <laughs> fox news graphic where they clearly labeled part of michigan as canada I think you're you're well qualified to give yourself that moniker and you prove it with uh, gusto yeah. each each episode. No, nah, thank you. But yeah, if you're listening, Fox News and you need a geo guy, no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean it's in it's in the same line of work, right? Wire podcasts, uh yeah. Fox, Fox Sean News, Hannity. So. There you go. Yeah, Kim Classic. We already talked about, you know, our affection for her. No, it's oh god. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you started you started the whole thing <laughs> and yeah. now i can't let it go but you know yeah, she didn't re- she didn't really lose her election there was some uh some yeah. questionable uh voter fraud uh stuff going on even though she lost in a landslide i don't know we gotta make sure all the legal votes are counted in that uh in that tight race <laughs> She's like, they're dumping data like the residents of this district dump garbage in the alleyways, creating Baltimore rat infestation problem. Wow. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, man, good stuff. I don't know if you got anything else you'd like to say, but uh, we're making record time here. I like this format. No. <laughs> you like the format of like, oh, we got to go on a hike in two hours, so let's <laughs> let's just get busy. All right, yeah. Yeah, I guess we could. That was a good podcast episode. Let's uh, wrap it up. Uh, you, yeah. you ready to close it out? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. Cool. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you sticking with us all this time. Um, again, if you have any money you want to donate, please check us out at anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. And give us five stars and leave us a nice glowing review on iTunes. Exactly. Yeah. Do all that good stuff. We appreciate you. Those who have uh, reached out or uh, donated. If you'd like to uh, find us, you know, via social, check us out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah. Gods will not save you. We're up. We're always posting on the social medias. Also, If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, 
go ahead and reach us, reach out to us via email at the gods will not save you at gmail.com. Good stuff there. Getting the Gmail going. Uh, also shout out to uh, the talented graphic designer who uh, designed that great emblem, Andre Tesnis. So we appreciate you, bud. Great work there. And also fantastic work that we want to give a shout out to from Most Start, who did our intro and outro music and provides uh, the cool sounds for one of the bumpers for our segments. Most Art, great guy, great uh, musician. Check out his work, all of his work at mostart.com. Mm-hmm.